I envy a colleague of mine who seems to do absolutely everything perfectly. He dresses well. He reads a whole lot more books than I ever get around to reading. He travels to places like London and Barcelona. He knows how to order in a French restaurant. This colleague, who's also a close friend of mine, moves through the world with charm and grace, never a misstep, never second-guessing himself, always unflappable. I enjoy doing things with him, even though I suspect that I am never doing them quite right. So imagine my surprise a few years ago when we were both hanging out in a bar in whatever city the UU General Assembly was meeting in, that my friend refused to play pool with me. Now, I grew up in Montana, so that means that I know how to play pool. It's just a given. (laughs) Not billiards, mind you. Nothing nearly so high-minded as that, but pool. I know how to rack the balls. I know how to break. I can tell you what happens if someone scratches or when somebody accidentally sinks the eight ball. The rules of three different pool games live in my head. I know every part of the pool table, and I even know the back part of it is called the kitchen. I can play pool. Am I any good at it? Heavens no. I'm just as bad a pool player as any other Montana expat who hasn't picked up a pool cue in years. Still, that night in that bar, I wanted to play, and there was a table open. No, my friend said, I don't want to play. Why not, I asked. Let's play the jukebox instead, he replied, trying to distract me. Did you never learn to play pool, I asked. I could teach you. It's fun. No, I never did, he admitted. And I'm sure not going to learn here. Then I realized he didn't want to play pool precisely because he couldn't already play well. I realized my friend avoids doing things that he does not already excel at. Perfectionism holds him back. And once I figured this out, my envy left. During seminary, Amy reminded me the other day that I used to say, perfectionism is the sure cure for happiness. (laughs) And it's true. Think about it. Perfectionism is the sure cure for happiness. Perfectionism holds up uh, such a holds up such an impossibly high standard that we can never attain it. And yet, it seems to drive we humans. We want to be the best. We want to achieve the highest standards. We want the things around us to look good and to work properly. We want to impress. Especially in a place like Concord and its surrounding towns, the demand for greater and greater perfection weighs heavily on us all. Everywhere we look stand perfect houses with tidy gardens. We walk litter-free sidewalks among quaint stores. Beautiful wooden churches grace every town square, reminding us that God is impressed with New England, too. (laughs) 
The pressure to conform to a perfect standard makes a run-down house stand out. A messy yard full of weeds just draws contempt. Perfectionism makes the child who does not excel think dark thoughts. It works its way into all of us, causing us to do and to think desperate things. A year or so ago, I had a final conversation with a church member who was moving away from Concord after living here for over 30 years. When I asked him how it felt to be leaving, he leaned in close and whispered, It's a relief. He was ready to live somewhere less demanding. As a philosophy major at Montana State University in the late 1980s, I was one of the few students in that department who was not enamored with Platonism. For those of you who have forgotten, the ancient Greek philosopher Plato's ideas rest heavily on perfectibility. For Plato, all objects resemble their own perfect abstract image. A chair, Plato would say, resembles to a greater or lesser degree the idea of a perfect chair. A chairmaker might work over many years to create a better and better chair, but she would never surpass the idea of chair. Likewise, people can become better and better, but never attain perfection. I bring all of this up because Western culture, and especially white Western culture, is still heavily influenced by Platonism. We are quite used to a binary system where something is judged good or bad, right or wrong, perfect or imperfect. We pay lip service to the spectrum between the two ends, but we don't really think it's fine to stop somewhere in the middle. In our culture's binary philosophy, we must always strive for the good and the right and the perfect. And this sets us up for failure and disappointment over and over again. This sort of dualism causes real harm. My own answer to Plato has always been to see the world as complex, interconnected, and most of all, messy. It has been to understand all the categories we set up for humankind, gender, race, ethnicity, ability, or age, are just loose aggregates. These categories do not define us. No one here this morning fits neatly into any of these categories. And when you think about it, these categories are in fact the least interesting thing about any of us. Am I right? I'm much more interested in a way of looking at the world that sets categories aside, a way of looking at the world that is curious about everything. Rather than finding a way to improve people, I want to find ways to know them better. Rather than spending time on status symbols, I want to spend time on relationships. And rather than being fearful that I won't do something perfectly, I want to be adventurous enough to try something new. What an amazing gift we could give our children if we did not expect them to excel. What an amazing gift we could give our spouses 
if we did not expect them to change. What an amazing gift we could give ourselves if we did not expect to win. The world would slow down. It would become softer and more gentle. It would be more kind. In this world, we could actually breathe. I'm sure some of us were raised with the Bible verse that says, Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm sure this verse has done its share of damage to us over the years because Platonism and Neoplatonism so heavily influenced them. The God many of us were raised with was a Jewish or Christian version of the Platonic ideal. God was perfect because he had to be. Now, setting aside for a moment that not everyone here believes in God, and let me tell you, there's lots of room for that conversation, too. I want us to imagine how our faith might be different if we let go of the platonic idea of God. Rather than a judging God, how might a loving, forgiving, nurturing God bring us more life? Rather than a God who keeps track of our faults, how might a creative, mirthful, messy God bring us more joy? Imagine for a moment, if you can, a creative, loving force that moves through all things. I'm convinced that this God is more comfortable with us when we are not striving for worldly approval. This God is most comfortable with us when we let our guard down, when we forget to put on airs, when we procrastinate, when we go out and play even though the house is a mess. If we really are universalists who believe that God is love, then that love is not a brittle love. It is not a demanding love. Rather, it is a soft, forgiving love, the forgiving love of someone who has nothing to prove. It is a love that is quick to laugh, a playful love, a love that looks at us with warm eyes. This is the love that I am interested in. This is the love that can break down barriers. And it would be a mistake, however, to think that this love is also not fierce. In her new book, After the Good News, Progressive Faith Beyond Optimism, Reverend Nancy MacDonald Ladd said, says, If God's name is love, then God compels us to resist the fall to sinful violence by pushing back with muscular resolve against the social structures that confine our capacity to care. A universal God, she goes on to say, for a tragic era is not a gauzy, hymn-singing force of personal devotion that draws us endly towards itself, but a fierce and compelling power that grips us by the collar amid our rebellious descent and calls us to choose the will to mutuality over and over again, even when that choice is so risky that it could utterly remake us. Just as perfectionism can make us shrill, renunciation can make us complacent. Neither is helpful. 
We want to be engaged in this world without being seduced by it. We want to be engaged in community without needing to control it. Because perfectionism, as we know, loves control. It wants to force things to be a certain way. And most of us, if we're really honest, kind of like to be in control, too. We like to control things. We like to have a sense of control over our lives. We like to control the lives of others. And we want things to go our way. And we like it when people mind and behave. And most of all, and this is really key, most of all behind this, we don't want to be embarrassed. Because to be embarrassed is to show that we are not in control. Embarrassment rises when we are helpless or wrong or lacking. What if we stopped valuing control? What if we valued cooperation more? That would be a radical shift for this congregation. But it just might save us in the process. Nancy MacDonald Ladd has a mantra she says to herself, whenever she engages in social justice work. You are not going to win this, she reminds herself in silent moments. You are not going to get an A-plus in allyship. You are not going to go on in one endless motion toward perfection to build the liberal church into an anti-oppressive entity that chooses not to center whiteness. You are not going to get this right. Not even close. How amazing for a smart, self-assured UU minister to admit before she starts that she is not going to win. She goes on to say, It is a litany that I have never stopped needing to hear because the counter voice has been so deeply ingrained in our tradition that I hear it too. Underneath the will to mutuality, she says, there is a will to perfection, a will to be personally justified, a will to be effective. And in the end, through all our carefully calibrated strategy, a will to win the game that was never meant to be a game at all. Imagine how First Parish in Concord would be different if we too started with this mantra. We are not going to win at this. We are not going to get an A+. We are not going to get this right, not even close. If we could believe these words, we would step up to the pool table of life laughing. We would take a pool cue in hand, unsure of how to play, but eager to try. We would see how others played and learn from them. We wouldn't care if we lost because the fun is in playing the game, right? If we let go of perfectionism, there is nothing this congregation couldn't do. Let's give it a try. Imperfectly, of course. So be it. Amen.